All right, wives, I want you to imagine with me. You've had a long day. You come home tired. Your feet ache. You've got a bunch of stuff you're carrying in from the car. And as you're coming in through the door, all your mind is doing is racing. You're thinking about what you're going to help get ready for supper. You're thinking about the evening's activities. You're thinking about this coming weekend. You're thinking about what happened earlier in the day. You just feel overwhelmed. And then you see it. A big bouquet of flowers on the kitchen table. And immediately your mind starts racing. Like, wait, it's not our anniversary. It's not my birthday. I don't think he did anything wrong. And, and the house was locked. So you know your husband had to have gotten these flowers into the house and set them on the table. And, and so something inside of you is excited. It, it, like, you feel loved. Well, a few minutes later, your, your husband also gets home. And so you rush up to the door, you give him a hug, and you say, thank you for the flowers. Why did you give them? Now, what you're hoping to hear is something like this. Oh, honey, I love you. You are so precious to me. And I know how busy you've been, how stressed you are. And so I just wanted to bring a little bit of beauty to your day because you bring beauty to my life. And you swoon. You want to give him a bigger kiss than on the day he proposed. I mean, that's what you want to hear, but it's not. Instead, when you ask, why the flowers? His face just goes emotionless. His, his voice goes into like a monotone. And he says something like this. Well, I was listening to the radio, and they said the good husbands give their wives flowers, and I kind of want to be a good husband, so I was hoping you'd like take a picture of it and post it on Instagram so everyone would think I'm a good husband. Because honestly, I really wasn't even thinking about you. I was just really kind of thinking about me, and it's really more of an obligation, a duty, I guess. So now how precious are those flowers to you? Yeah, I, I, yeah in the garbage. <laughs> you see, what I think we want is not just the gifts— I think what we want is the love and the heart behind a gift. And that's what we're going to see today in Matthew chapter 2. As we continue on in this Do Christmas Different series, we're going to look at how do you give more. And we're going to see that giving more is not just giving more stuff, because we looked at that last week. And we saw that just giving more and more and more, it doesn't bring joy to Christmas. Instead, giving more means giving of our presence, like our personal presence. Giving more means giving of our heart. And giving more means giving intentionally, giving with love. And we're going to see this in Matthew 2. So let's pray. Father, as we head into the scriptures, uh, would you be our teacher today? Would you help us to see how to give more? Because this is the call that you've given us. For anyone here in our room today that considers himself a follower of Jesus, I pray that this message would impact them and lead them to a generous life. And for those that are already living generously, I pray that this would encourage them to continue what they're already doing. But for those of us who struggle with, with selfishness, uh, just kind of putting me first, that today we would just feel your, your spirit moving us to be the type of people that would give more. So help us to hear this, to see this clearly. In Jesus' name I pray and ask for this. Amen. Hey, if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it up. I don't care if it's a paper version or digital version. Uh, open up to Matthew chapter 2. Last week we were in Matthew 2, but we did verses 1 through 8. And we were introduced to our main characters for today. We were introduced to the wise men. But last week we didn't even talk about the wise men, really. We looked instead at King Herod and contrasted him with Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. And what we saw last week was that in the eyes of the world, Herod had everything. I mean, palaces and wealth and power and prestige. 
But when he died, no one mourned his death. We discovered that he truly had nothing. But yet Joseph, on the other hand, in the eyes of the world, he had nothing. He, he was just a poor carpenter from Nazareth. And yet, there he is when he was at the temple to dedicate Jesus to God. He's holding, his wife is holding the son of a God, the Messiah, in her arms. And so while Joseph appeared to have nothing, he actually had everything. And that's what we discovered, is that when you have Jesus, you already have everything. You have the totality of Christmas. That's why you don't have to go and spend gobs of money in order to somehow find joy. Because you already have Jesus. And that's what our giving comes out of. So that's why, as we looked at last week, spending less, by spending less, it allows us to give more. But we're going to see today that giving more is not just giving more money towards something. It's actually giving more of ourselves. And we're going to see that through the wise men. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. After listening to the king, King Herod, they, the wise men, went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Well, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. All right, guys, um, I need you to forgive me because I'm going to point something out that might cause your wife or, or significant other to elbow you in the ribs. But I'd not be a good teacher if I didn't point this out. The wise men asked for directions, all right? So men, it's okay. If you don't have your smartphone on you, it's okay to ask for directions, all right? It, it, it's fine. I mean, these guys are really smart, as we're going to see. All right, now, all joking aside, the reason they go to Jerusalem is that somehow they see this star, and they know that that means that the king of the Jews has been born. I don't know how they know that, but somehow they appear in Jerusalem saying, Where's this newborn king? Because we saw his star. Now, if they're going to find the king of the Jews, they need to go to the land of the Jews. And they seem to know geography well enough to say, well, that's Israel. And so they make this trek. Now, we don't know where they're from. We don't know if they're from Babylon or if they're from Persia or someplace else. But it, whether it's Babylon or Persia, it would take weeks, if not months, to get there. Some people think that it was the night Jesus was born, the star was shown. And that's when they began their journey. And as we're going to see here in a moment, it says the child Jesus. And so Jesus was probably a year old at this point. And so these guys have possibly been traveling for 12 months, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. They've made quite a journey. But they went to the natural place. They went to Jerusalem because a king would be in the capital city. So they show up and say, all right, where's he at? Because we're here to worship him. This causes Herod and all of the Jews to kind of wonder. In fact, it, it sends Herod into a panic. Because we saw last week, Herod was all about protecting his kingdom. He wasn't really a king. Rome was in power, and they allowed him to remain in power over Israel. And yet, he wanted to protect his throne. And so they, uh, they come in. Where's this king of the Jews? He panics. And then he says, well, where's he at? That's where we saw last week. He calls these scholars together. And they say, he says, well, you know, what did the Hebrew scripture say? And they're like, well, that's easy. 
Micah 5, 2 says that he'll be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was just a small city of about 1,000 people just outside of Jerusalem, about four or five miles. You could walk there in just a few hours. But Herod doesn't go. The the scribes and, and Jewish leaders, they don't go. Instead, Herod says, hey, wise men, He's probably in Bethlehem. If, if you actually find him, send word back, and I'll come and worship him. Now, as we saw last week, that wasn't true. He was planning to kill off this threat to his throne. And when the wise men didn't return, Herod panicked again and had all of the little boys, two years old and under, killed just to eliminate the threat. But the, Messiah, the uh, wise men hear that the Messiah is in Bethlehem, and so they take off. They go. And then there's this thing with the star. I will be honest. I cannot intellectually explain to you exactly how it worked. All right, now, my, I've got a brother-in-law who has a DVD. It's called The Star of Bethlehem. You probably can find it on YouTube. There are some people who say that they can explain the star perfectly. All right? And maybe they're right, okay? I saw half of the DVD. I didn't see the whole thing. And I don't remember everything that I saw. Right? So maybe there's a great explanation. I don't have it for you today. Somehow, though, a star travels in the sky. So it leads them from the east. They get to Jerusalem. And then it travels back and it lands right over the house. And somehow indicates he's right here. And they show up. And when they show up, I see them give this Christ child three things. Now, you're obviously assuming, oh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. No, I'm going to say that those three things, that's actually one thing. They give these gifts. There's actually two things that they give first. And I think by seeing those, it's going to help us understand how to give more this Christmas. So look at it with me. The first thing I see them give is their physical presence. Their physical presence. Look in verse 11. It says, And going into the house, they physically walked into this living structure, and they walked in, you know, with their physical presence. I don't know about you, but uh, it seems that wealthy people have the ability to, like, hire people to do things for them. Uh, whether it be hire someone to clear their snow, which I wish I was wealthy enough to, to do that. I'll have to do that when I get home. Or to, uh, you know, hire someone to do their lawn. Or, you know, wealthy people, they'll also hire people to, like, fix their car, to change their oil. Uh, you know, that's what wealthy people do. Hopefully you're realizing we're all wealthy. But we, you can send these other people to do these things for you. That's not what the Magi did. They, they didn't see the star and go, oh, check it out. The newborn king, Jesus, is born. Uh, we should send gifts. All right, so servants, you guys come here. We're going to send you some gold, some frankincense, some myrrh. All right, travel over here to Jerusalem, ask for directions, and, and you'll find them and give them on our behalf. No, they mount up probably on camels, and make the trek themselves to Jerusalem and ultimately to Bethlehem. And then they, when they get outside the house, they don't even just send the servants in. They come themselves. They bring their physical presence. But not only do they bring their physical presence, they also seem to give of their heart. They give their heart. It's possible to be present physically and not be there emotionally, mentally. You can be checked out somewhere else. That's not what these guys do. 
I mean, if you notice there, it says that when they walk into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They were all there. They were there emotionally. They were there spiritually. They not just gave their physical presence. They gave their heart. And now, because they have given their physical presence and they've given of their heart, now these gifts come out. And it says here in the ESV that they opened up their treasures. Maybe they brought a lot of stuff with them. I mean, they needed to, you know, finance their trip. Maybe they were buying food along the way. Maybe, you know, if they got in a difficult situation, they could bribe someone. I think they brought a lot with them, that they were quite wealthy. But then they open this up, and now they give the famous gifts. And if you notice, each of these gifts has a purpose to them. They give intentional gifts. First is the gold. Gold, just like in our day, was very valuable back then. It was a kingly gift. If you were coming into a kingdom, you would you know, lay this gold in front of a king because you're recognizing he is greater than you. This is a way to pay honor and respect. And these guys walk in, bow down to the son of a carpenter and his teenage mom in this poor little house in the small town of Bethlehem, and they go prostrate on their faces, and they shove over a kingly gift. Recognizing Jesus would be the king over the people. Now, I believe that God provided this gold to help finance the trip that Joseph and Mary were about to take. Because if you continue on, verses 13 through 15, you would see that God warns them in a dream that Herod's about to panic. He's going to have all of the little boys killed, and so they need to hightail it out of town. And so they head off to Egypt. And they needed something to help them live. And so that gold probably helped to buy the food that they would need and maybe set up a a home for them in in Egypt because it seems that they were in Egypt for a couple of years. God provided for them. And he provides them with a kingly gift. But then the second one was frankincense. They, they bring out this frankincense. Frankincense is a gum that comes from the resin of certain trees in the, the Middle East. And when you take a clump of it and you begin to heat it, it lets off an incredibly strong fragrance. Now, the Jews had been using frankincense in worship for years. And, and so Joseph and Mary, they probably knew what this was. It was very, also very, very expensive, maybe almost as valuable as gold itself, but it was used in worship. I, I think it was an indication that Jesus was not only a king, he was also a priest. Uh, priests in that day, they were kind of the mediators between God and humans. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. In fact, as Jesus grew and, and became an adult and began to teach, He said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. No one could get to the Father except through him. He was the one mediator that we needed to connect with our creator. He was the ultimate priest. Now, imagine Mary and Joseph in all of this. They're they're sitting there watching this, like these finely dressed men who speak with a funny accent, show up asking for the newborn king. They come in, they bow down in front of Jesus, who's sitting in Mary's lap, You know, if he's one year old, you know, maybe he can toddle at this time, you know, make noises. And all of a sudden they start bringing out gold. And I'm sure Mary and Joseph's eyes just popped. Poor carpenter from Nazareth. That was probably more than he'd ever seen in his entire life. And now it's sitting in front of him being given as a gift. And then they bring out this frankincense. And I'm, I'm sure at that point, you know, like one eyebrow went up and the other one down. Like, 
you're giving a baby frankincense? But then the third one probably would have cut them to the core. It would have made them pause. Because the third gift was myrrh. And for the Jews, myrrh was used as an embalming, used in the embalming of a body after it had died. Here's their newborn baby, all the life, all the potential, all the dreams that they have. I mean, this is the long-awaited Messiah. And now they're being given a gift that not only indicates that he would be king over the people, and another gift that would say that he's the priest for the people, but another gift that seems to say that he's going to die for the people. But if you notice, each of these gifts has a purpose. There's intention behind them. Now, one, one commentator I read this week, he, he argued that, you know, we, we cannot assume that these wise men had any sort of intention. These probably just seemed like the right things to give to a king. But I don't know about that. Because these guys were smart enough to recognize some sort of star. So they seemed to be like astronomists and astrologists. They knew enough about theology to know, you know, some about the Jewish nation. They knew their geography. They knew exactly where they were. These guys were incredibly educated, incredibly smart. And and notice, they didn't just come to honor a king. They came to worship him. It was like they recognized divinity. I think these guys knew exactly what they were giving. They knew that they were giving gold to a king, frankincense to a priest, and myrrh to someone who would give their life for his people. And when they put those gifts in front of Jesus with their physical presence being fully there, giving with their heart, I think they were indicating love and respect. So here's what I think we should take from that. I think when we give, to truly give more, we should first give of our physical presence. As most of us being middle class, it's sometimes easy to just throw money at something. And instead, I want to encourage you, rather than just buy someone a bag of coffee beans, take them out for coffee. Rather than just, you know, buy a DVD or a movie download for someone, invite them to go out to the movie. Like, invite them to your house to, you know, pop up a bunch of popcorn and just hang out for the evening. Give them your physical presence. Because sometimes that's actually going to mean more to them than anything else. Several years ago, on Leanne's side of the family, we decided to stop giving all of the, I guess I'll just call them the grandkids, presents. There were 10 of these cousins, and we just looked at it like, oh my goodness, like if we bought each kid something, we all just multiplied the number of useless toys in our house, and we just spent a bunch of money. We don't need to do this. We have everything we need. And so we decided as a family, we were going to stop with gifts for the, the, the kids. Now, grandma and grandpa couldn't do it. They still give the kids gifts, which is fine. But uh, the aunts and uncles, we give the kids an experience. So when we get together somewhere around Christmas, we go and do something together. So we've gone bowling. We've gone ice skating. Well, I should say they went ice skating. I wisely stayed and took care of the baby. I didn't want my bum to be bruised for the next two weeks. But we've gone. They even came up here to Waverly one year, and we went to the W, and we did the climbing wall. We did the pool. We did experiences. Now, if you were to go and ask those cousins, hey, what'd you get for your gift in sixth grade? They probably couldn't tell you. But if you'd ask them, hey, what are some of the things you've done? They can start rattling these off. Oh, yeah, one year we went bowling. Oh, we went ice skating. That was so much fun. Yeah, I got really, really fast. And they can start telling you because what they got was this experience together. They got this physical presence of being together as a family. 
And that has turned out to be far more precious than any trinket or toy or book we could have bought for them. So give your physical presence. But when you give, also give with your heart. You know, some of you are going to be gathering with family, (laughs) and you won't have seen some of this family for several months, maybe a year or two. And, you know, maybe the occasional Facebook post or something, but you don't know them because you don't see them every day. I mean, in some ways, you'd feel more comfortable hanging out with your coworkers or some of your, you know, your friend group than hanging out with family. But, hey, they're family, so we were together. What I noticed at Thanksgiving, we had just had that. There were 42 of us all together. You know, I hadn't seen some of these people in four years. And I noticed that some of them, the phone was out, and they're checking Facebook. They're, they're watching the game on TV, and there's very little connection and interaction. And some of them, even though we ate a meal together, within an hour or two, They were out the door, headed off to their next event, and we didn't even connect because they weren't all there. They were AWOL. They were away without leaving. I mean, they were there physically, but they weren't there emotionally. They weren't there in their heart. So I want to encourage you, when you get together with the family, put the phone away. Turn off the TV. Engage. Ask questions. Listen. Be all there. That is one of the best gifts you can possibly give. But then some of you are going to be giving gifts. Now, a lot of you, you you probably have your your Christmas shopping done already. But some of you, you might not. You've still got two weeks, 14 days before Christmas. I want to challenge you. Don't just go and buy something to buy something. Get them something that has a purpose, that there is intention behind it. And so if you see your neighbor out shoveling with a broken shovel, don't just get him a $5 Walmart gift certificate and call it good for Christmas. Go and buy him a shovel. And when you give it to him, use it. Shovel his walk for him, then ring the doorbell, you stick a bow on it, and you say, Merry Christmas. Give it with intention. Give it with purpose. The daughters in my family have done an amazing job of this. Last year for Christmas, Karis gave all of us photo gifts. She knew she was taking off for college. And so she gave each of us a gift that was a picture of her and that person. And so mine was a mug, several photos of us together. She gave one of the boys a deck of what playing cards. Megan still has the picture of her, the two of them, the sisters, up in her room. She gave photo gifts Because she knew physically she wasn't going to be around, but this was a way to connect. There was purpose and intention behind it. My my daughter, Megan, she's very artistic, so she's made a lot of gifts. In fact, this year, she and I were dreaming together. She comes to me and goes, what can I give? So we started talking some ideas, and she got excited about the things she was going to be able to make. They weren't going to cost her very much money, if anything. They'd cost her a lot of time, but they weren't going to cost money. And yet, the gifts she would give would be far more precious than if she'd just gone to Walmart and bought them something. Even Connie, our adopted daughter, she's awesome at this. When when you open up a gift, it isn't just a bunch of useless stuff. Like, there's purpose, thought behind it. Like, she doesn't just get Leanne chocolate. She gets her Reese's peanut butter cups, because she knows that's her favorite. There's love behind it. When you give, don't just give to give. Give with your physical presence when possible. Give with your heart, but give with meaning. Give with intention. Because that's then when the flowers on the table matter. And they count. Because it's what's behind the gift that matters. The thing is, 
when you give like this, you are not just giving like the wise men. Really? You're giving like Jesus. Because this is exactly what Jesus did for us. Think about it. Christmas is about Jesus giving us his physical presence. He left heaven to come to earth. It's also him not just coming to earth and giving us his physical presence. He truly gave of himself. The scriptures say that when he saw the people, he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. He cared. He's feeding them. He's clothing them. He's healing them. He truly cared for them. But then Jesus gave the most intentional gift of all. Because he knew that what we needed was not just physical healing, not just food, not just clothing. What we truly needed was him. We needed our creator. Because sin had entered the scene and broke the relationship between God and man. And Jesus was there to bridge the gap, to repair it. And that's the most wonderful gift any of us could have ever received. So when you give more, when you give like this, it's not because you're trying to be like wise men. It's because you are loving like Jesus loved and you're living like Jesus lived. Because that's what our world needs. So that's why I want to challenge you. This year, spend a little less on the stuff so that you can give a little more of yourself. Because when you give of your physical presence, when you give of your heart, when you give with intention, you're giving with love. And that's what's going to be meaningful to the person who's receiving your gift. So Riverwood, let's give more. So Father, I pray that you would help us to be generous, that we would give more. We wouldn't just give in a cultural way of giving mindless gifts that just pile up or get forgotten. That instead, we would give in such a way that we let people know that they matter and that they're loved. Because this is what you did for us. Even though we were separated from you, we were, we were rebellious. Our sin kept us away from you. You came to us and you gave it all. So God, because of your indescribable gift to us, help us to go and give more, to give generously to those who are in need, to give to those that we love, to, to give in a way that people know that they are loved by you and by us. So Father, help us to just get rooted into Jesus, into your gospel, and that be our fuel to go and be a blessing this Christmas season, making this the best Christmas ever, because it's all about you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.